Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Well, welcome to Abundant Life Church. Uh, Wherever you are watching or listening today, so grateful that you are a part of this. My name is Jeremy, the lead pastor here, and uh, we are coming off an amazing week. Last week, we got to celebrate Easter together. I hope you had the chance to do that, and uh, what an incredible, not only service it was to to participate in that with all of you, uh, but then what we got to do afterward. Now, uh, as regarding the service, uh, a number of you are like, oh my goodness, could we watch that again, and, or, or we want to show other people? Here's what you may not know. Since we have moved online, uh, you can watch all of our weekend services uh, online. And so if you miss it uh, on, on Sunday mornings, you can go back throughout the week and you can watch it. All this is available on our, uh, on our website. We don't normally do that, but in this season, we wanted to make all that available to you. So not only can you watch the messages by themselves if you want to, uh, you can also find the entire service to watch there as well. I encourage you to take advantage of that if you'd be interested in that. And uh, just kudos to our, our uh, creative arts team who knocked it out of the park last week. If you missed it, uh, that is a service you want to go back and watch. They did such a good job. But then in the afternoon of Easter, uh, we got to partner with the Portland Rescue Mission, and they're an organization that serve uh, the homeless, and, uh, and it is incredible to see what they're doing and, and to lock arms with them and say, you know what, we can help you as they serve people who are homeless. And, and so uh, my family, we got to go and, and, and visit each of the three physical locations that we have, uh, Vancouver and Sandy and Happy Valley, and, and uh, here's a photo of me at the Vancouver campus. Uh, I was uh, physical distancing with our, uh, our Vancouver campus pastor. And so that's me and Jesse there. And as you can see, we have the appropriate distance between us. Uh, but it was so cool to see at each of the campuses. And I got to say hi to a number of you. And, and you guys showed up in such huge ways. Now again, this was not our original uh, intent when it came to our Easter outreach. Normally we give financially to these organizations. This year we pivoted uh, in light of Easter and you guys showed up in such amazing ways. And, And here's some of the highlights of stuff that we collected. Uh, We had six months of care for the children at Shepherd's Door. Six months of care because of what you brought. We have hygiene supplies and personal items for over 100 people. We have several months of snacks for kids and food for adults. And last but not least, we've got toilet paper. I mean, you guys brought literal gold and you dropped it off and you serve people. And here's a, a photo uh, of a trailer that we had. This is at our Happy Valley campus. We had uh, this collected at each of the campuses, but you can just see mounds and mounds of things that you guys brought. And here's what was so cool is I got to talk to uh, representatives of the Portland Rescue Mission. And one of the things that they said to me, and this was uh, evidently a very big deal to them, they said, you know what, oftentimes when we do this, people just bring what they have. So they clean out their closets, they clean out their pantries, whatever it is they have that they're not going to use, they bring. And he said, you guys actually went and got what we need. Like the things that we actually need and they would have had to buy had you guys not done it, you actually went looked up the list, shopped for it, brought it in, and they were so blown away. In church, this is what it looks like to be 
the church. I am so proud of you. This is what it looks like to give ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. So I wanna say way to go. It was so fun to see the excitement, uh, to see your faces. And if that is any indication on how excited we all are to be together again, I can't wait uh, to gather in, in, in physical you know, rooms with you again because man, I think there is an excitement and a hunger for community. And we are so grateful uh, for how you guys showed up and how you guys are the church and you are being the church in the midst of a, a scary and uncertain time. And I wanna say, way to go. Now today, uh, I'm excited to, to uh, bring this message that, uh, again, I'm, I'm just writing these week to week of what I sense uh, Jesus laying on my heart. And so if you're taking notes, here's the title. I encourage you to write down. Today's title is Grief and Gratitude. Now, these might be two words you think, grief and gratitude. It's like grief or gratitude, right? But I want to talk about grief and gratitude. And then in our Bible today, we're going to be in Romans chapter Eight. And so if you've got a Bible with you, uh, hopefully you, you can get that out or, or get a Bible app on a phone, uh, wherever you are, however you're listening, unless you're driving, then you're off the hook. Uh, but for those of you that are in your living room or, or in your home, I encourage you to read along with us. Get your spot in Romans chapter eight. Now we are entering into a new phase in this pandemic, right? Uh, at the first few weeks, for a lot of people at least, there was kind of a novelty. This is fun, this is cool. And now we're getting into like, oh my goodness, this is long and this is getting hard and, and what do we do? And a number of you, I'm just hearing these stories of like, oh my goodness, how long is this thing gonna last? And it is causing us to do things that we normally would never have to do. And I give you one great example. Um, most of us do not have to worry about cutting our own hair or cutting the hair of the people in your family. We, we have professionals that can do that. And I'm grateful for my barber, who's very good. But right now, that is not you know, something available to most of us. And, and so people are having to get creative and are having to try out cutting the hair of the people in their families. And I don't know how this is, has gone if, if you have attempted this, but the photos that people are posting online are hysterical. Here, here's a couple. Uh, this first one I thought was so funny of the before and the after. Uh, and you can just see it looked okay to start with. And then that is quite an interesting fade uh, by the time they are done. Or this one, uh, a more of a bold cut, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a dramatic fashion statement right there. That is, that is making a statement. You might think, oh man, I'm so glad I'm not a guy and I have to deal with that. But this is not just affecting men. Uh, here's a, a lady's haircut uh, that is a rather interesting style. And I think she tried to do that herself. Now, we've had to do this with our kids. And I'm pleased to report uh, that we don't have any horror stories or, or, or awful photos because it's actually gone pretty well. And uh, Michelle and I have actually kind of figured out most of this. But, but this, this whole time is causing us to enter into a season in which we're having to do things that we haven't had to do before. And, and that's some of the, the lighter moments of what we're dealing with. Now, the flip side of that is obviously there's a lot of suffering going on at the same time, and that just continues to ramp up, and you continue to hear these stories and, and, and the weight of this that, that we are all carrying now in the process. And so I was thinking of, here's some of the, uh, the, the tangible ways that you and I are experiencing suffering in the midst of this time. There, there is fear. There's a lot of fear right now, and we're living with that. There is loss 
in, in a number of ways, but there is loss and we're, we're processing through loss. There's isolation, right? Uh, and, and in a sense that we haven't even seen, when was the last time the whole world shut down? The, the whole world went into isolation. There is financial struggle. There is sickness. And yes, there is death. And, and the weight of all of this just, just begins to build. And, and again, depending on uh, how you are personally being affected in each of these areas or, or, or how those around you are, uh, we each try to process this. We try to, to make sense of what is going on around us. And, and to this reality, I, I want to bring in Romans chapter 8. And if you're with me in Romans 8, uh, let's look at verse 18. And this is one of those where you just got to kind of stare at for a second because uh, it's hard to process what the Apostle Paul is saying. Here's what he says in Romans 8, verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Paul says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to what Jesus is going to reveal later. Now, again, depending on your own journey with you and God, uh, that might be a tough pill to swallow. You might be going, what glory is going to be revealed later that would minimize the suffering now, that would give me a different perspective now? And as I was thinking about Paul's argument here, it reminds me of a famous quote of an author named C.S. Lewis. And uh, I love C.S. Lewis and, and so much of what he writes. And he has a phrase uh, that is a profound and interesting phrase. And, and he says this, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Now, this is an interesting idea that, that Lewis introduces, the idea of heaven working backward. That once you experience heaven, it, it gives you a new lens, a new perspective in which you will look at the suffering of this life from a different vantage point. Now, for a lot of us, this is a hard idea to wrap your mind around, and I'll probably spend the rest of my life exploring this, this interesting phrase of what does it look like for heaven to work backward. Uh, but let me give you a, 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 a simple illustration of, of, of maybe a way to think about this, and this breaks down very quickly as uh, analogies do, uh, but maybe this helps you understand what would it look like for heaven to work backward. I want you to imagine uh, the last time you got like a, a cold, just a, that really long, nagging cold, not the coronavirus, but just a normal cold that, that again, before the coronavirus, was just a normal reality uh, that most of us would have. Uh, maybe once or twice a year, you'd get one of these. And, and I'm talking about the kind of cold where it, it's with you for a couple weeks. And, you know, it's uh, it, it, maybe a cough or maybe your, your head just kind of feels, con you know, congested or you've got the snot, you know, whatever it is. But it's just like day after day after day of it. And maybe you're the kind that's like taking medication and trying to, trying to work your way through it. Maybe you're just pumping your body full of vitamin C. I don't know how you handle uh, the normal common cold, but it lasts for a while. But then there's usually a day, and if you're like me, there's a, a morning I wake up and all of a sudden I can tell my body's on the other side of it. I can tell, hey, I've, I've, I've like moved beyond this cold. And, and that morning, whenever I wake up and I realize, oh, I'm feeling better, um, I feel like a million bucks. Now, I might not even be 100%, uh, but because of the last 
you know, days and, and weeks perhaps leading up to that feeling, uh, that morning when you realize your body is, is, is coming back, uh, you feel so good. And here's the interesting part. You feel that good because of how bad you had been feeling. And so you savor that feeling and, and you appreciate your just normal health in ways that normally you wouldn't even do. You would take for granted. But because you've just gone through something, when you now feel better, it enhances that. Now, it doesn't mean you would want to get a cold and you'd want to spend the last you know, week or two uh, down and out the way you might have been. But you have a, a different perspective because of how good you feel now. And you go, wow, this feels great. I feel like a million bucks. That, again, is a glimpse of this idea I think he's talking about. That when you taste heaven, it will be so good that you will have a, a gratitude. You will look back on the suffering and it will make heaven that much sweeter. And you may go, what on earth are you talking about? But this is the idea of, of a God who likes to redeem things. And this is the story we find of God all throughout the scriptures, that, that God loves redeeming the brokenness in creation. And I think Lewis is onto something, this idea of heaven working backwards. Because even in the midst of this suffering that you and I are experiencing right now, we don't know what God is up to. We don't know how God is working, what beautiful things God is doing in the midst of this, what things God is, is setting up right now that we're going to experience in the days, the weeks, the months, the years perhaps to come. Because God is at work and God is always working for our good. And so a question that I was thinking about uh, that maybe you want to ponder this week as well is how will heaven work backwards during this pandemic? How will this idea actually connect? How will we get to see heaven working backwards as we look back on this one and go, wow, look at what God was up to? I don't know the answer to that, but it's an intriguing idea to think about God is at work and there will be something to come that will perhaps change our perspective of what we're experiencing right now. We'll go back to, to chapter eight in Romans and, and let's look at verse 19. Paul says this, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now there's a lot happening in those few verses we just read, but one of them may have caught your ears a little bit strange. What is this curse? You know, that, that creation has this curse from God and, and that might sound a little confusing to you. And a lot of different Bible translations translate this idea differently. Some of them talk about creation was subjected to futility or perhaps frustration. Uh, the idea here is that this isn't all there is. That, that when, when God created this, it wasn't the end all be all. This is all that there is. It's not. And, and we're more aware of that now than perhaps we ever have been. That, yeah, this isn't all there is, but that's what Paul's talking about, that this is not all there is. That there's a futility here. This is, uh, this is setting us up for something that is yet to come. Don't get caught up in this, thinking that this is all there is. 
Now, whatever you thought you would be doing uh, right now, right in this season, in this week, in this month, that has been interrupted. You are not doing, likely, what you thought you'd be doing uh, when you planned out your year. Maybe when you were making New Year's resolutions, uh, you thought where you'd be at this point in the year, and I suspect you're not there because all of us have been interrupted. Uh, This has not gone the way that we anticipated. Now, while I, I suspect none of us would choose this interruption, we can still choose our response to it. We can choose the way we react to an interruption like this, going, wow, this is not the way I planned out my year, but now that we've all been interrupted, how do we process this? Well, I came across a quote from the author Tony Morgan, who I thought was really good. He said, interruptions jolt us. They upset the equilibrium. They force a reaction. Interruptions challenge us to pause and assess what's happening, then build a plan to respond. And ultimately, interruptions provoke us to act. And that's what I think is so beautiful. The interruptions provoke us. They, they bring out something in us. And it can bring out a better version of us or it can bring out a worse version of us. And you and I get to decide that. And that's why the perspective that we have in moments like this, when we are being interrupted, matters so much. Because if our eyes are set on the person of Jesus and we are inviting the Holy Spirit to live in us in real time, we'll have the chance to to react to this interruption in in a Christ-like way. But if our eyes are set on us and we are thinking this is all there is and woe is us, we're not going to be able to react the way that God would want us to react. Now, Paul also gives us an incredible analogy. What, What an image for my guy Paul here. He talks about the pain of childbirth and he brings suffering into into this analogy doesn't it feel like the pains of childbirth right now like we're all like literally going when is this baby coming like enough already let's go let's move forward but I love this analogy that Paul uses because in the pains of childbirth there is something to look forward to there is something coming you exchange the pain now for what is going to come in the future. And that's what he's talking about, that this present suffering is not comparable to the future glory we're going to experience in the person of Jesus. It would be absurd in the pain of childbirth to think this is all there is. The point of childbirth is to bring something new into being, to bring new life into being. And and it takes pain to bring that out. And, and this is what Paul is tapping into, this, this very common experience that is part of being human. He's going, this is what it's like right now, that the suffering you and I are experiencing is, is but a glimpse of what is yet to come. And how would we react differently in this moment now if we believe that? If we believe that, yes, it doesn't diminish the suffering we experience now, but it gives us perspective to process it in light of what is yet to come. Now go with me to Romans 8 one more time. Let's look at verse 23. It says, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Now, if we already have something, 
We don't need to hope for it. It's interesting, right? But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So much here that you and I can hold on to right now. Notice the wording. We have a foretaste of what is to come. We long for what will happen. We wait with eager hope. That's our posture in a season like this. Now, it's difficult, though, to know whether or not you're doing this. How do you know whether or not you are actually walking in hope? How do you measure that? Well, it's a phrase that Paul uses that that may be helpful to you and I. He says, we must wait patiently and confidently. Well, how do you live in hope? Well, you must wait patiently and confidently. This is how you measure whether or not you are living in hope. And you could say that patience and confidence are really two of the key ingredients of hope, right? I'm patiently going to wait until it arrives, but I'm confident that at some point it will arrive. And these are the two ingredients that allow us to tangibly wait, to have hope. And so I wanna break it down. How patient are you right now? Now, again, I said for many people, uh, there was a novelty to this at the beginning. That novelty has worn off and now our patience is being tested. How long will this go? What if this goes a month, six months, a year? How patient are you in this process to go, hey, whatever this looks like, God, however I have to, to endure this, I'm going to be patient. But then the second question, how confident are you in what God is doing? How confident are you that this is not all there is, that there is something yet to come, that there will be a future glory that you and I will get to experience if we follow the person of Jesus? How how do we process all of this together? And again, for you, maybe you're going, well, I don't know about this future hope because I've I've never trusted in Jesus. And I want to encourage you, as we have been doing throughout this series, this is a chance for you to say, you know what? Um, I thought this was all there is, and it doesn't feel like that anymore. And as you realize what Paul is saying here, that this is not all there is, this is futility, as you realize that, it allows you to put your hope into something greater. And we would say that's the person of Jesus. And, and again, you can decide that today. You can say, I, I want to put my hope in, in Jesus. I don't want my hope to be... in in myself or in this. And what an incredible posture for us to have to wait patiently and confidently as we live out in hope. Now, there's a quote that I wanna share with you. This is where you'll see I got the title from today, but such an incredible statement from Patricia Campbell Carlson. She says, grief and gratitude are kindred souls, each pointing to the beauty of what is transient and given to us by grace. I love that phrase. Grief and gratitude are kindred souls. Again, you might think, how on earth are they even related? All I have is grief. How could I have gratitude right now? But these are both powerful reminders for you and I. You see, grief connects us to our humanity. It connects us to the here and now. It reminds us of our need for God. And so we should learn how to grieve well. But gratitude connects us to God. It reminds us that God is present and that God is good. The author Ann Voskamp says it like this. Gratitude 
is not only a response to God in good times, it's ultimately the very will of God in hard times. Gratitude isn't only a celebration when good things happen. It's a declaration that God is good no matter what happens. See, that's why we can choose gratitude in a season like this because we know that God is present and we know that God is good. Now, a few weeks ago, if you're with us, I, I gave you some homework for the week and I encouraged you to write out uh, the things that you were grieving. And a, a number of you shared with me that, that you did that and, and, and you shared that it was incredibly helpful just to write out, I'm grieving this loss and I'm grieving this pain and, and just to, to name it, to write it out and say, this is in fact tangibly what I'm grieving. And so I wanna give you a similar assignment this week that I, I think will produce just as much benefit if you'll take me up on it. So here's the action step. I want you to name the gratitude that you feel right now. Now I had you name the grief a few weeks back. Now I want you to name the gratitude that you feel right now. Now again, when we began this, this whole thing, maybe it was easy for you to feel gratitude because, oh, I got more time and this is great and I, I like a change of pace. Now gratitude's gonna take a little bit of work because now you're gonna have to dig a little bit deeper. What are we grateful for? And maybe right now, if you're honest, that seems like the last thing on your mind is to be grateful for this season. But how could you pair the grief with the gratitude? You know what, I'm experiencing grief, but it does not negate a, a posture of gratitude. I, I wrote down a few things that I'm personally grateful for, a few things on my list, just to give you some ideas. I'm grateful for time to read books. I love reading books. I've had more time to read books. I'm grateful for that time. I'm grateful for the chance to wake up with my wife. Don't normally get that chance, but I'm, I'm grateful for this unique season. I'm grateful for making lots of memories with my kids. I, I, I'm grateful uh, for that. I'm grateful for a season to have new insights. I've been thinking a lot of new things in this season. I'm grateful for a change of perspective to, to have that. I'm grateful for the chance to hit reset on my commitments and to reevaluate all that I was doing and then to figure out at some point, what do I want to reintroduce and what do I not want to reintroduce and, and have a, a perspective even on that. What are the things that you can be grateful for if you would take the time to have some gratitude? So you know what? Uh, even in the midst of the suffering, even in the midst of this grief, here is what I am grateful for. How is heaven working backward in our midst right now? How do we invite heaven to infuse this reality? Because we know and we believe that something else is coming and we can wait patiently and confidently because we know the person of Jesus and we believe what we will experience with him. I wanna close with something else that the Apostle Paul said. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter four. I think this is a great uh, concluding thought for us today. Paul says this. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. I love the phrase, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, 
Help us to fix our gaze on that which we cannot see as we wait for it patiently and confidently because we have seen the person of Jesus. We know who you are and we know that you are good and that you are with us. And so Jesus, today, may you help us pair our grief with gratitude. May we not see these as opposites, but see that in both of them, we can have reminders of of who we are and who you are. And so I pray for all of us, whether we know you and have a relationship with you, or, or maybe this is what's motivating us to realize we need something else. May we all have the chance to experience the person of Jesus. And may the person of Jesus and our gaze upon him change the current suffering we feel, change our perspective on it, not to diminish it or take it away, but to realize that this will pale in comparison to the glory that you invite us to experience in the future. We long for this and we ask for this perspective. We pray in Jesus' name.